0: episode four of season two of The Nathan Berry Show. We're talking about building audience-based businesses, and today's guest is totally different from everyone else that I talk to in this world. Everyone else is trying to go on podcasts and things like that to get more attention. Today's guest wants less attention. He's built an amazing business called BidSketch, but he doesn't go to conferences to talk about it. He just goes to conferences to meet friends, hang out, and learn. He's not the one trying to get more attention, trying to get on stage or anything like that, even though he knows more than practically everyone else up on stage or attending the conference or anything else. But Ruben's just trying to build his business and not seek the attention from it. He wants to be behind the scenes. So this episode is all about how to build such a fantastic audience-based business where you're not the figurehead of it. So with that, I want to introduce you to Ruben Gomez from Bitsketch. This season of the Audience Podcast is sponsored by Kajabi. Kajabi is an online course creation platform. You can use it to sell really any kind of information product, courses, membership sites, ebooks, any of that. And instead of doing a normal sponsorship spot for them, I thought it'd be more fun to bring on someone from Kajabi and take some of the, the knowledge that they've learned over all the years of selling you know, tens of thousands of, of uh, courses and all of that on their platform, and see what we could teach you through that. So, I'm gonna bring on Steve from Kajabi to tell us a little more about selling courses online. So, a lot of people do surveys for their audience, you know, asking, What should I write about? You know, what are you interested in? That kind of thing. You guys have a little bit of a different take on this, and I'd love to hear you know you tell the audience how you guys recommend people do surveys to get the most valuable information
1: yeah you know a lot of times when people do surveys they will ask questions about like demographical data something like age gender you know marital status the truth is if you're targeting correctly uh, with your ads, you should actually know you should know the de- demographics already. Things like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, they're going to tell you the types of people that are coming to your website or the types of visitors that your ads are delivering. So, for us we don't really waste that first impression survey with trying to figure out demographical data. Another way that people try to do surveys is they'll ask like multiple choice questions. Hey, what what do you want me to teach you about selling, marketing, you know, whatever whatever your expertise is. And we also don't really like that because it ends up being like leading the the reader You know, like you're sort of asking a leading question And it kind of skews your view of what the subscriber really wants to get from you So our different take on it, and we've learned this from, I guess, from experience Not getting the right customer data that we were looking for We just ask open-ended questions So
0: what are some of those open-ended questions that you guys like to ask?
1: Yeah. Here are the three questions that we ask. So instead of sending a survey, we just send a regular email message. Very personal. It comes from Kenny, the founder. And he says, the first one is, what frustrates you the most about X? X being the main theme of your market. For us, it would be something like, what frustrates you the most about your online business? Or what frustrates you the most about online technology? The second one is, what goals are you pursuing that if it happened this year, it would double your happiness? And the third one is, what have you tried that's worked and what have you tried that tried that hasn't? And so the reason why this really works is we get to identify their frustration or their problem and then we identify their goal, which tends to be the solution that they're looking for. And the third thing, we find out what they've already seen so that when we actually market to them or when we create our products or our offerings, we can make sure we bring something that's new. And this info is, <laughs> it, the cool thing is it turns out to be all the info you need to create your next service or your product that you know people will pay you for. They're actually using, they're feeding the words um, to you that you can use in your marketing back to them. You know, like they're, they're giving you the language that they want to be spoken back to with.
0: Yep, yeah, that's perfect. I have a friend, his name's yeah. Brendan Dunn, who does this all the time. So in his autoresponder, when you sign up, he teaches freelancing, and so he asks a question, what's your biggest frustration in your freelancing business right now and he just gets the best answers and then <laughs> the next time when he's either coming up with a product or he uh, is looking to write some marketing copy he just looks back through that and then he uses the exact words that people you know <laughs> the the exact words that they wrote and feeds it back to them in the marketing company and it does oh so well
1: oh exactly you know like if they say something like if they respond to some your survey with I'm tired of wasting my time learning how to write HTML. Well, on your page, you can say, or on your headline, you can say, are you tired of wasting your time learning how to code? Or, or you know, another one would be, stop wasting your time trying to be a coder. Yeah. It's a simple example, but I think you get how powerful that, that can be.
0: I like it, especially because it's so hard to come up with those headlines.
1: yeah exactly and so when you can speak when you can use this and you can speak in your audience's language straight to their fears and straight to their problems that they've articulated to you and then you give real hope and solutions you can become the authority for your audience nice so where should people go to learn more about this and get your notes on it yeah at nathan.kajabi.com we have just posted actually the script that we use with those three questions to ask people what they're looking for
0: a big thanks to Kajabi for sponsoring this episode. You can learn more about Kajabi at kajabi.com and uh, just start selling any of your digital content, sell courses info products, any of that through Kajabi. Ruben, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So you have a pretty interesting business with BidSketch where it's a software as a service application. Do you want to tell us just a little bit about what BidSketch does and then the typical customers that you have?
2: Sure. Uh, BidSketch is a web app that's used to create client proposals. And it's used mainly by um, freelancers, consultants, and agencies to create those proposals. Nice. And how long have you been working on it now? Now it's about five and a half years. Let's see, we're in June. Yeah,
0: about five and a half years. Okay, very cool. And so, if I remember correctly, you coded the first version of BidSketch yourself, right? Well, kind of. Yes and no. The first (laughs) The
2: very first version, yeah. The very first version, I started to code it all by myself, and then I scrapped that because I was writing it in some language nobody heard of. And I learned that you can actually hire like developers to help you out with (laughs) with uh, with coding it. I figured out, oh, uh, it's going to make hiring developers really hard later on. Uh, So I started started over in Ruby on Rails. Um, I hired somebody uh, really cheap. Actually, I was sort of hired and fired, hired and fired like three times, I think, mm-hmm. trying to get the right person to help out. So finally got somebody to help out. I didn't have a lot of money, so they built part of it and then I kind of finished it. And uh, so, yeah, I contributed some to the early code base, but I also hired
0: that out. Mm-hmm. So how long was it from like the initial idea and you start working on it to actually getting paying customers?
2: So I got paying customers before before publicly launching. So you know, launching to the list. Uh, that's where I got my first paying customers. Um, it was about four months uh, from the point of where I started over, but before that point, I'd been working on it for maybe eight months. Okay, six months, something something like that.
0: As you had a day job
2: and. Right. So I had a day job. I was working full time. I was a web development manager. And so I was doing all this on the side. So that why, that's why it was also really slow going when I was doing yep. it by myself and trying to do marketing and, you know, learn about SEO and trying to do AdWords or whatever. Um, it's just, <laughs> it was too slow.
0: Yeah. So you've always owned the business and marketing side. Like that's something that you've never tried to hire out, right? Right. Uh, As far as Um, the management of all of that. Yeah. So I hire writers and I hire
2: people to help me execute and implement. But uh, yeah, I own marketing side.
0: Yeah. So I always like to point out when I come across people who expand beyond their core skill set, I think too many people Mm -hmm. say like, oh, I'm a designer and that's it. Or I'm a developer Mm -hmm. or I'm a marketer. And I like to see it when when someone starts as a developer and then also adds in all these marketing skills or starts as a designer and learns to program, you know, and just sees it as we create products and products need design, development and marketing. And so, you know, you expand your skill set to accommodate, you know, wherever the need is in order to build a successful product company.
2: Yeah, I think I think that type of thinking is very dangerous Right, to have that, like I'm a designer or I'm a developer or you know, um, when you're doing a product. I've actually, now that you talk, uh, mentioned that, I never really thought of it in that way. It was just like, what's needed to get a product going? That's it, right? Mm-hmm. That's what needs to be done. Nowadays, I think it's a little bit more helpful to kind of think about those roles now that I have a team and all that stuff. Because uh, recently I realized that I don't have a marketing person. I am the marketing person, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. I own this. And how that's been helpful is is identifying that there is no one that's going to really push things forward on that side. And that if I spread myself too thin, I'm a shitty marketer, right? Right. Uh, I'm doing a very poor job at marketing. So, you know, I think early on, it's it's not good though. Yeah. So how big is your team now? So I still work with a lot of uh, contractors, writers, and uh, just hired a Rails developer contractor to help us out for about six months to uh, eight months. But full-time employees that are in the U.S., we have three, so two Rails developers and one customer success slash support person. And then I am the other person in the team that does the marketing stuff.
0: Got it. So... I want to talk about how you've built an audience for BidSketch and then how you've used that to to turn into customers. So I guess let's start by, well, first I should say most people who build an audience are kind of the face of that audience, whereas what you've done, BidSketch is the face of everything. You know, it's the, I guess, the hero in the in the marketing story. It's the one teaching all the content, right? Right, right. So what's the reason that that you took that approach rather than, you know, something like what, what I've done or what uh, Brennan Dunn has done um, mm-hmm. of being much more front and center and writing all the blog posts and speaking at the conferences and that kind of thing? Because like there are conferences that I've spoken at that you haven't, even though your software company is many, many times more successful than mine and in a lot of ways you're you're far more qualified to talk on these subjects than I am and so but you kind of i don't know hang back and quietly do the work rather than being in the spotlight what's the what's your reasoning for that i think it's for me it's just
2: it's personal preference right and it's also about strengths so I don't see that as a strength of mine. I don't see that as a strength that I want as something that I want to develop into a strength. I don't like I don't like being the center of attention. <laughs> I really don't like that. So, I remember a while back having a, having a conversation saying talking about how it's, it's kind of cool when we go into a conference and somebody knows me and shakes my hands like, "Hey." But what's even real even cooler to me is when somebody doesn't know me. Then they see my name tag. We're asking me what I do, and I mention Bidsketch, and they know Bidsketch. They know the product.
0: That that's actually better for me. That's how I feel. Nice. And so you really like it when someone goes, "Oh, Bidsketch! I, you know, I love that, or I'm familiar with it. You're the guy behind it." And right, yeah, that's exactly. really cool. And so I think there's a lot of people who have a similar personality to you, and so they they see all all the benefits of an audience driven business and yet don't want to be the face of it. And so it's like, well, I don't really want to create, you know, RubenGomez.com, and you know or whoever or nathanberry.com and be super public and, And so they they think that because they don't want to be the face of it, they can't they can't have all the benefits of an audience. And so that's why I like talking to you is because you absolutely can because you've done it really well.
2: Yeah, I've, I've. It's really easy to get that impression that you, it can't be done any other way because a lot of the examples, most of the examples, it seems like, are of basically where the where the person is the brand, right? And that's the way that they're marketing things. But you can very much do it the other way, and it's not. Some people say that it's harder and it's a lot more work and all that. I don't. I don't believe that. I. It's. It's a lot of work any way you do it, right? it's not easy either way the mo- most important thing because people talk about like connecting with the real person and all this stuff and just because you put the 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 brand you know like let's say the company as what represents a brand doesn't mean that people aren't connecting with people right it's just done in a different way yeah it's still a lot of work but it's totally doable and it's 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 about the same amount of work i think
0: yeah, so how do you go about getting that like that initial team together and hiring writers and and I guess tell us a little bit about just your content marketing plan in general of what sort of content you're focused on and how I guess how you get that whole content creation engine going when you're not the one writing all the blog posts and content.
2: I think the way that I think about it is
0: essentially the most important
2: thing is the value that you can provide, right? If you can make somebody feel like learn, help somebody learn something and make them feel more intelligent and uh, make them feel better about themselves because they're sharing really smart content or, or something that's really good, then they're going to like the person, the company, they're going to like, you know, the blog, right? Whatever it is that's that's helping them get that. So that's sort of the way that I, that I uh, think about it. Also, Emails. So the way that we have things set up right now is that for the blog, when somebody signs up for the blog, they uh, get put on the drip campaign, and those initial emails uh, all come from me. So we don't ever send out emails that come from like Bidsketch, the company, right? It's always from a person. But then the 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 blog post, you know, it could be from me or it can be from uh, Nicole, who works at works at uh, my company. And the content is written by different writers, right? So when, when we announce after the drip campaign, they'll get an email saying that there's a new blog post. Uh, we do that twice a week. So we write two posts a week. And we have about uh, four or five writers uh, that work on that content. And I think having multiple people, uh, the reason why I do multiple writers is because it helps not associate all the content with a single person. Right. Because I also don't want that, like not just myself, not being a brand, but
0: I don't want to depend entirely on one person and have them develop as the brand. Right. Right. Because then if they decide to move on or something like that, then you're in trouble, especially if if you're hiring contract writers and then that contract writer becomes the brand. Right. Yeah. that's That's not so good.
2: Yeah then you know it's their audience, right? <laughs> that 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 they're taking with them. Um, I also like to hire writers that either have developed their own audience or are doing a really good job of developing an audience elsewhere.
0: So that you're not having to teach them how to write content that's going to attract an audience. They're already exactly. practicing those skills and getting good at it.
2: Exactly, because we don't have an editor. We we. It's, it's a really sort of loose process, but for, so for it to work, the people that are involved need to really know what they're doing, right? They need to write great content, need to not really need editing, need to n- not need a lot of hand-holding or anything like that. They just write stuff, they queue it up. I give it a quick read-through, send out quick email to the list, and that's it. So there's a queue in, of posts, and we just do two a week
0: it's pretty simple okay so let's back up to how you find these writers what's the what's worked well for you for hiring writers and then what are some things that that you would totally recommend people avoid
2: yeah so like i said i generally like to find writers that have an audience or doing really good good job in building an audience so the way that I've found a lot of my writers is I've just gone out and gone to blogs that tend to have people get doing guest posts, like Kissmetrics is one, uh, Smashing Mag is another, uh, Copyblogger, Blog. It's a little harder with blogs like Copyblogger because they have so many editors. And this is one thing that I, that I learned that I probably would avoid, maybe depending on blogs like Copyblogger too much to, for finding writers because... The content that the original uh, writer um, submits oftentimes looks nothing like what's the end result, what you'll find on Copyblogger because they have such amazing editors there. They'll really do a good job at cleaning things up and making it better. They try to start with something that's pretty good. I've been surprised with hiring writers that seem to have really good stuff. And then when I get it, it's just not that good. It's nowhere near what I've seen, right? Yeah, I tend to if I find somebody let's say on copy blogger, then I'll look at all their
0: work elsewhere, right? And Where they didn't have top notch writers. Right. Right. Polishing exactly. them up. Yeah.
2: Yep. And then I'll try them out. I don't automatically hire them. I just, you know, send them an email, ask if they'd be interested in, you know, trying out to write a post and, you know, tell them about my audience. Also try to target people that are familiar writing for that audience. That works but that's a lot of work. <laughs> that's also a lot of work. So the other, the other way, I think it's a good way to start, right? Once you've started that way and once you've found like at least one writer or maybe two that are really good, you've talked to an editor, right? You've done your own guest posting. Then you can, uh, what I like doing more nowadays is just getting referrals, so I'll still do the recruiting. Like I'll 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 uh, you know be reading content. And if every once in a while I see guest, uh, somebody who's doing guest posting somewhere that seems really good that I like, then I'll just reach out and talk to them about it. But I'm not so active about doing that. So nowadays I just will ask for referrals from people that are re- doing a really good job, and they'll they'll tend to recommend people that are good, right? If somebody knows how to write a content that's shareable they kind of know what good content looks like right they they can they can rec- recommend people like that so one thing that i tried a while back to that was pretty good was there's a guy who uh, does a content marketing podcast and uh, so he was what's the, what's the name of the podcast Um, I don't even remember what the podcast, uh, what it was called, but I do remember, I don't think he's doing it anymore. He was doing a content marketing podcast. So he's interviewing a lot of content marketers and stuff like that. So I hired him to basically find me writers because, you know, he already knows a bunch of them has a lot of relationships with, with them. And I just asked him, okay, I need three writers. Uh, this is how much I'm willing to pay. Uh, find me, give me a list of writers. Then he came back, gave me a list of potential writers. I identified the ones that I liked. He went out and did the negotiation. You know, I told him what the budget was and then just gave him a flat fee for all that. So that was pretty good.
0: Nice. And did it work out long term with those writers?
2: Yeah. Yeah. They they were around for, for a pretty long time. I don't think, let's see, only one of the writers is still around. That's the thing with writers too, is that... You'll lose them from time to time, so you have to, uh, you know, recruit new writers. Or it's it's always a good idea to just sort of have a next, at least an extra contributor, even doing one post a month or something like that.
0: Yeah, because well, we've noticed this. I remember watching Greg Ciotti. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's how you say his name. Um, Ciotti. Yeah. Ciotti. Watched him write a lot of posts for Bid Yep. and then. You know, and he was building his own audience at the same time. He was putting out really great quality content. And I think, you know, he's writing for a few other people as well. And that kind of thing gets noticed, like the people who are really excelling. And so now, like for the last year or more, he's been full time with uh, Help Scout. Right. Yep. And that's something somebody's going to see that he's doing an amazing job and they're going to, you know, snap him up and try to bring him on full time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Greg was really good. Greg was a great example of that built up a really big audience, actually got introduced to him by Leo from Buffer. I just sent I didn't know Leo. I just sent him an email. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm, he, I am I'm. know he gets these emails all the time. Uh, but back then, you know, he probably got them a little less. Um And I just asked him, I'm looking for a writer. Is there anybody that you'd recommend? Right. Because he's he's a content machine Uh, and he just recommended two people. Uh, Greg was one of them. He was he was amazing and he was doing a really good job. And yeah, Help Scout was also kind of contracting him. And they're like, you know what? We can hire you. Why don't you come on board?
0: Let's do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And that'll happen. And then you'll also get writers who are going to lose interest, move on to other things, all that sort of thing. So I think it's good that you don't try to find one writer. You develop relationships. Would you say like with maybe four or five writers? Yep. Generally about four or five writers.
2: That's what I'm working with. Usually I try to keep that number.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. And then how much do you usually pay for for posts or what should people expect to, to have to pay?
2: So it varies, but like you'll see writers early on, and this is something that took a little while to learn, right? How much should I be paying a writer? So it's funny when I hired the guy who's running the podcast and I said, okay, yeah, I think my budget, I'll uh, I'll pay like about $300 per writer. And he came back to me. Per post, right? Yeah, per post, per writer, right? He came back to me, said, oh, uh, I, th- I think... Uh, you should lower that. I think this is too much. <laughs> is like we can get really good writers for about one, you know, one fifty a post. It three hundred, yes, people will do it. They'll be like, you know, but writers aren't really used to making that much. They're not even used to making like one fifty a post, right? Some of them, some of them are right. Like it totally depends, but. You can totally find. The point is, you can totally find really good writers at about one hundred and fifty a post, two hundred a post. Like they'll they'll be really great. So nowadays, it's you know, it's about like from one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty is is around what I typically pay per post.
0: Okay, and so you're doing, and you're doing what eight posts a month or so? Yep, eight posts a month. Okay, so all this entire content marketing machine that you've got going really isn't costing you that much money all things considered
2: it's actually pretty cheap it's yeah i've gone through the numbers and essentially i tend to make my money back in new customers it's really hard to measure with with uh google (laughs) analytics or kiss metrics it's so hard. So roughly, I'd say that I tend to make my money back in about a month, a month and a half. Okay, after a post Um, goes live. I don't look at it uh, by the post. Because if I did that, then... It'd be crazy to track. Yeah, Yeah, it's just... And it also seems like it doesn't work. What you need to do is you need to average them out, right? So you need to look at like 10 posts and... On average, what am I getting out of ten posts, mm-hmm. right? And you'll get a much better feel for that because some posts will do really well, some posts won't do well okay. at all. You'll not get customers from that, right. so you can't look at you know if you look at okay this post oh it didn't really work the next post eh, did okay you know this content marketing stuff doesn't work. But if you're if you look at okay let's look at ten posts that were really well written and um, you know, 15 posts, and see how many trials we got out of that, how many uh, you know, leads we got out of that. Then you'll get a much better feel for that.
0: Mm. So how long have you been working, how long have you been using this content marketing strategy? Well, I've been doing
2: content marketing from even before I launched Bidsketch. So from the very first, I think the very first, from the first moment that I had an idea, I put up a blog even before writing code. Right, So at that point, it was me writing the content and I was writing it a little bit differently. So I wasn't writing it so much for uh, getting shares, though I was r- trying to write really good content that would get shared. I was writing it to focus on certain keywords to see if it would rank for that and get visitors that way. Right, And pri- it just worked really well. So I sort of kept doing it. I wasn't doing a lot of content back then because I didn't have a lot of time. But, you know, I do, I don't know, I do maybe a post every other week, something like that. Then when I started hiring, I, I started, I hired one person to help and she did okay, but, you know, that wasn't really going anywhere. And I started just looking at what some of the other popular blogs uh, were doing uh, that were good, like the Kiss Metrics blog. So he's been a uh, really good inspiration. And uh, I saw that they just had a lot of you know, contrib- people contributing, and I like that model. So I tried that out. That was shortly after I launched. I started doing that.
0: Yeah. And I think if you bring on one person to handle, like, as your content person, you know, what I think what's going to happen is they're going to get so caught up in everything that they need to do. And you're going to, you know, probably assign them more marketing tasks and things like that. Mm-hmm. But by just hiring writers, the deliverable is super clear and they get paid for delivering, you know, a finished blog post that's quality. And you can just focus on that one thing and the relationship doesn't get super complicated, you know, early on before, you know, like later on, if you want to hire somebody to come on full time, like what uh, help scout did with Greg, you know, that can make total sense. But right. like initially I think I think it just makes so much sense to say you write great content we'll take care of everything else.
2: Right. And as yeah, as long as they're also good about making it easy for you to take care of it, right? Meaning not needing editing, being able to put the posts up in WordPress, being able to add the images themselves, stuff like
0: that, right? Yeah, so they should do everything and other than you should basically hit publish and that's right. Pretty much. That's pretty much it. On the editing side, have you found that most of these writers are editing it themselves or do they have editors that they work with or they're
2: editing, they're editing the posts
0: themselves. Okay. And then so, do you find with a lot of writers that you're catching mistakes when you give it that once over or uh, is it pretty normal to expect that they'll deliver a really polished post?
2: It's pretty good. It's, uh, it's mostly polished. And then if I get somebody new that kind of does, you you know, need more work on the editing side, I let them know initially, like, hey, this just needs to be much better. Um, And if they don't, they can't get it, then, you know, stop working with them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, it's
2: just not worth not worth the ongoing, you know, work for every post. I don't, right. I don't have the
0: time for that. Especially when there are writers out there that can perform at a higher level. Right, right. You can find them. People will do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so then as you're sending out this content, you're building the email list. That's really the, the core thing. Like if you go to Bidsketch.com, the very first thing, it's not to sign up for the product. It's to download free templates over email, right? Right. So, So you're trying to sell as much as possible through email rather than through the site.
2: Yeah, to try to put um, funnel everyone uh, through the list is what I'm trying to do. I've tested changing the homepage. Initially, I had more of a traditional SaaS homepage, and this is not the blog. So the blog, obviously, you have the blog content there, and then you have email sign up forms, or you know, to get a free ebook and to get on the list, stuff like that. On the web app website. Generally, you'll you'll go to a web app, and then you'll see like what you know. You'll see benefits headlines, and then you'll see like oh, try it you know free trial, and then maybe an email form or maybe a button, and that's how you sign up for it or start to sign up for a trial. So I, I've had that. I've tested like a video. I've tri- tested different types of homepages versus one where. You don't have a way to even see pricing or sign up for trial initially. You, the only thing you can really do is sign up to see a sample proposal, which is, you know, happens through email. So you give your email address and then uh, you're on a trip campaign and you go through, through that process. And then you can see the pricing and sign up afterwards. But... Oh, every single time that I've tested I've, that's just done better. I just
0: get more paying customers that way. I've not been able to, to beat that. That makes sense. So then you've also tried paid acquisition as well. And so how have you found, you know, putting money into this content marketing system, that ROI compared to like running Twitter and Facebook ads? Essentially, I've just, you know, I've had
2: Facebook ads work with really small segments. I've just not been able to scale that up. Twitter it's done okay with contests that's where it's it's done okay for me but still like you can't even compare it right it generally will take me about uh, about three months maybe four months to get my money back when I'm spending it on Facebook and even when it's working right and with content marketing like I said it'll take like a month a month and a half to get my money back so
0: you know yeah that's that's obviously much better right yeah uh, let's see so you, you so you've now got the system where you can effectively put money in and just generate content you've got these freelancers that are working well do you have them talk to each other very much like is there one you know a Trello board or a Basecamp project where they all talk about what they're working on writing so there isn't conflicts
2: Nope, they don't. I mean, a couple of them talk to each other just because you know they've like reached out or anything like that. But there's no shared space. There's there's nothing like that. Um, They can just look at the queue, so everyone can see the posts, right? They can sort of see what's been covered and and just uh, add their own content in there. So generally, no no conflicts or anything like that. I don't worry too much about everyone writing in the same exact style. Generally the posts are pretty similar like they're they're told they're given an example about of uh, what is a good post what right what that looks like the minimum length for that so you know there are some guidelines like that but then some posts are a little different than other posts and that's totally fine i think audience seems to like the variation like that a little bit as long as it's not so different where you think you're in a
0: different blog right right Yeah. And so I think people can kind of match the style that you've set. So what do you do to promote the posts besides put them live on the blog and then send them to the email list? Do you just rely on the people on the email list doing social sharing or do you try to actually get more mileage out of that post and promote it around the web? So generally the main things that we rely, yes.
2: So we'll post it on, you know, social and stuff like that. We're actually doing a lot of that with uh, Google uh, plus and, uh, Google uh, plus communities. That was okay. That wasn't really working out that well. Not not for the money that I was spending on it. So I've just gone ahead and stopped that. I do have somebody who does guest posting for me. So he goes out there and he does about eight guest posts a month and he'll link to some of the content. That way we don't have, we're actually Going to be doing that's one of the things we'll be doing is just trying to sort of repurpose some of the newer posts and stuff and put it out there in in different platforms. But we haven't really done much of that. It's all mainly the list, and then the other thing that we'll do is we'll go back to posts and kind of change the maybe the headline a little and change the content just a little bit, not too much, and focus them on certain keywords, right? To get to to make sure that they're continuing to get traffic. And they do a better job of that than that initial spike when we announce it to the list. But it's mostly like, as far as, you know, beyond that, it's it's
0: about just, you know, people sharing out there uh, on Twitter as well. Okay. And so since you're driving so many people to the email list, how big is the email list now? Oh, it's about somewhere about 50,000 right now. Okay. And do you mind sharing how quickly that's growing? Like, are you seeing a hundred signups a day or
2: no? So we're doing about 9,000 new subscribers a day right now. Um, 9,000 new subscribers a day. Yep. So about 9,000 new subscribers a day, but we're also kind of, so the quality varies depending on how you're getting them and where you're getting, where, uh, what place they're signing up from. Um, Also how, you know, how aggressive you are about it, uh, what they're de- what they're getting in exchange for that. So if somebody signs up, so if I look at the list that comes from the or the subscribers that come from the blog purely from the blog, the churn for that tends to be you know lower. It's it's kind of interesting once once you get to like the tens of thousands, right up there. Um, and I trim the list to uh, mm-hmm. try to trim off like subscribers that just don't do anything uh, after a while. But yeah, once you get into like, you know, 60, 70, 80,000, 50,000, the unsubscribes actually start to matter. It's kind of like a SaaS business,
0: right? Right. I actually just recorded a video about this the other day, how your, your daily subscriber count is a fixed number, you know, basically a fixed percentage of your traffic, but that the unsubscribes is always a percentage. And so you can reach a total list size where, Like, you you know, early on, you'll have like, I don't know, 20 people unsubscribed from every email when you're just starting out. But later on, you'll have, you know, 2,000 or 5,000 people unsubscribed from every email you send out. Right.
2: Yeah, the bigger your list gets, the more people you're going to have unsubscribed. So then, right, the the number of new subscribers that you get in, you know, for you to, con- to continue that type of growth, the growth that you're used to, you're just going to need more new subscribers. And if you, you're just always getting 5,000 a month or 2,000 a month or whatever, then you're just going to actually, your list growth is going to slow down, right, over time.
0: Yeah, so I just want to make sure I got these numbers right. You said the total list size is around... A bit over 50,000 subscribers?
2: Yep. I just deleted about 10,000 uh, a few days ago. So I think right now we're about 50,000, 50 something, 55,000 or something like that.
0: And what's the daily growth or the the daily new subscribers? Uh, I don't know. I don't really look. I generally look
2: at it from the monthly. Okay. So, so 9,000 so
0: broken down, you know, average that by 30, right? 9,000 new subscribers per month. Yep. Okay. So okay, eight- That makes sense. Um, and then like when you send out an email to those 50,000 people, what kind of unsubscribe rate are you seeing?
2: I don't really worry about that. So I don't know. Um, actually kind of, I'm, I like that (laughs) when people unsubscribe, Uh I don't like if too many people unsubscribe, but I don't want people on
0: my list. They're not going to be doing anything. Right. Exactly. It's far better. I think. And I think you think the same thing. It's far better for someone to unsubscribe than for them to just, start ignoring your emails right, and become totally inactive.
2: Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, at that point, then, then you know, it's about like, okay, now I have to go in there and just get rid of them. Right. Do you happen to know what your average open rate is? So it was around 20. It depends on how many subscribers I have. So right now, since I just trimmed it, I don't know. It's going to take a few emails to get the new rate.
0: So around, around 20% before you
2: chimp. Well, no it was like dropping at 15 right Okay. so it was getting pretty low like when it's starting to get low and i had actually had a drop so i used to be like around 25 then you know 28 and when i was on mailchimp uh and then something happened i have no idea what uh and it dropped it had a pretty big drop and took me down to like 20 and you know yeah, I've never been able to n- figure out what that. I thought it was something. Might have been something
0: technical, or they put me on different servers, or something. I, I I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. So, but you're you're seeing the same thing where you're focused on the engaged list, and so you're removing people so that the unsubscribe or so that the open rate increases, because you only care about. Really, it's the open rate times the total list size, which is the number you should care about. Right. Well, the 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 thing that I
2: really care about most is how many people how many people am I am I getting from that? how many trials how many customers am I getting? Yet? So that's why I'm like, eh, you know, you, you asked me about these. You you think so early on? I I really watched these metrics a lot more right when I was focusing on list growth and all that stuff because I was I was trying to get more volume so that I could do more testing and figure out what was working for conversions to trials and stuff. Right. And then at one point, I just sort of stopped worrying about that because I said, "Okay, X percent of people, new people signing up to the list will end up being a trial, will end up converting into a trial. Right. So then at that point, it was more about like, how many people can we get on the list? And are we still are we still, you know, getting that many trials from it?
0: Yeah, and that's good because the whole point of this is not to get the biggest list or or a great open rate or something like that. The whole point is to get paying customers, and so I like that you're reminding me to focus on the metrics that matter, rather than you know the metrics that are easy to compare to other audiences. Right,
2: and and at one point I was being really aggressive with with uh, trimming people. So um so like the list that I'd have now. I probably should get back to this because I'm not doing that anymore. But anyways, I take the list that I have now. Let's say it was like fifty thousand, but the open rate was kind of shitty and the click through rates weren't that great. And then I say, okay, you know, I really need to trim this down. I've got fifty thousand. We really have maybe you know fifteen thousand quality, really quality subscribers on here, or twenty thousand really high quality subscribers on, right? Um, so then I trim it all down there, and when, and the problem with that was that, this is crazy, but whenever I'd, I'd start to go out and reach out to people about doing like cross-promotional deal, like promote my SaaS app and I'll promote yours, people would ask about uh, list size. And that's all they would care about. So when I'd say 15,000 or 10,000 or, you know, i say, oh, you know. Forget it, not, we're promoting yeah. to yeah.
0: 100,000. Right,
2: right, right. And then I'd ask, right, like, well, like, how many people actually visit? Like that's the ma- that's the thing that matters, right? Like how many people actually get to whatever it is that you're promoting. But nobody would ever ask me that, not a single person. And I thought, wow, this is wild. Okay. So I'll just let my list get kind of big and you know, because that's the only thing they care about. And give
0: them the the number that they want. And the same thing is true for if anyone wanted to write like a traditionally published book and they wanted to get a you know a deal with a publisher and they want a big advance you know that's a case where you don't wouldn't you wouldn't want to trim your list before you were doing that because they're going to go how many subscribers do you have and th- if you say 25,000 and and you're like but I get a ridiculously high open rate cuz I deleted all the people who aren't engaged they're just going to be like 25,000 hmm okay but if you hadn't deleted those people <laughs> they'd go oh 50,000 like, right, all right. right, this is a lot of people we can reach, and you know, you could tell them, like, yeah, but the open rate's kind of low, or and like everything after the number of twenty five thousand or fifty thousand, like they they don't hear anything beyond that. Right.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, but you know, that's just the way it works, right? So it's an interesting thing to to kind of keep that in mind, right? So you can be kind of strategic with the way that you, depending on what you're doing, right you can be strategic with how you trim your list. I think in general it is kind of better to keep it tighter just because I heard I've heard I don't but I haven't even really seen any real studies or any any anything behind this but I've heard that um and I've read multiple times that uh it helps deliverability, you know,
0: to yeah, have a list. Right. Email email providers are starting to look at you know, you know, they know that when you send to 50,000 people, they know that, you know, 10,000 of those went to Gmail or whatever. And so Gmail is going to look at it and say, okay, we just received 10,000 emails from this, this company. Well, you know, and they're starting to look at what are people doing with it? And so even if they're getting ignored, you know, that in theory, getting ignored isn't bad because nobody clicked spam, but just like, you know, just like when Google checks, if you, you know, search for a query and then, you know, you click on the first result, if you immediately hit the back button, they make note of that. Cause they're like, Oh, you, that wasn't the right content. And they, you know, change the rankings accordingly. So the same thing with email where it's like, if you send an email and no one engages with it, then they're going to be like, apparently people didn't want this email and they're going to factor that into their uh, deliverability. Yeah. that That's pretty much what I've read. The only thing that
2: bothers me about it is that like, you know, it's fuzzy and unknown, right? Like so what does that mean, right? Like it goes into spam, it it, it goes into more likely to go into the promotion, you know, tab or or what, right? Uh, and if you keep it really tight, how much of an increase is it? And you know, how
0: much worse is it to keep to keep a list uh, bigger that right is less engaged? Yeah, and it's all unknown, and it probably will always be unknown, other than these tiny little hints.
2: Right, right. It's just like this is good. You should be doing this. So <laughs> I kind of do it because of that. But yeah, with,
0: so with that in the back of my mind. So other than vanity metrics, there's no reason to not trim your list. Basically. Right. Yep. All right. So I think people have been given a really good blueprint of how to, you know, how to build a pretty massive audience without having to be the face of it and without having to do all this writing and, you know, really monetize it quite well through selling software. So I like your model. Thanks. Yeah. I, I think, you know, just the way that a lot of that,
2: you see a lot of people doing it. Like you're really good at at doing it, where you're 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 the brand, you're the name, and you know, uh, people know you. That's a strength for you. So I would never discourage anybody who has that as a strength from you know from just changing it around. Um, but I do think that certain people just don't want that. There's definitely there's there's a way to do it without you being front
0: and center. Right, and I can say from firsthand experience that. Uh, and building it so that you are front and center and you write all the content is a lot of work, like really a lot of work. Right. right. It just has to be. Yeah, it's, it's a ton of work. And then you still have to sell, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, man. And so having something and this is stuff that I'm looking at for ConvertKit of how um, how we can do content marketing, you know, for our blog where, you know, yeah, I'll still be the face of the company. And, uh, you know, I'll still be contributing content and that sort of thing, but how can we, you know, create a whole bunch more content that's really going to benefit our, um, you know, benefit our readers and customers without me having to sit down and write it. And if we could spend say $1,500 or $2,000 a month on, on writing to, you know, to fill out that entire editorial calendar, like that would be money well spent.
2: Yeah, I agree. Do you do you feel like that's the direction that you you guys are going, and it, basically to where people aren't really thinking of Nathan Barry, they're thinking more of like the products or the brand, or
0: how are you thinking about it at this stage? Yeah, absolutely moving that direction because I think initially there was this perception that oh, ConvertKit, it's you know Nathan's little pet project. Mm, got it. You know, and that can hurt. Right. Like that can hurt a lot because then how long is it going to stick around? And so now that, you know, I've invested all this time and money and hired a team and and ConvertKit is no longer my little pet project. You know, it's it's grown into this, you know, a much more meaningful company and we're getting a lot of uh, like top bloggers switching over and, you know, stuff. So it needs to be seen as much bigger than me.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. It'll be interesting to watch the uh, the challenges that that uh, you have to tackle in doing that sort of switch.
0: Yeah. So I've already made sure that ConvertKit has one audience and email list, which is now about 1,500 people, that's totally separate from my audience you know, for NathanBerry.com, which is like 35,000 people. And so mm. I'm already trying to set it up so that the ConvertKit audience is used to hearing from, more than just me, but we're getting there. It's it's all a process, right?
2: Yeah, I, it, I think it's doable. It's it's it, it'll just be a little tricky, and <laughs> it'll take some work, but you'll get there, I'm sure.
0: Well, perfect. Yeah, uh, if people want to check out, you know, your entire strategy and and all of that, they can see all of the posts at uh, BidSkitch. Is it uh, where's the blog? sketch slash blog.
2: Uh, so
0: it's uh, uh, blog.bitsketch. Sketch. Yeah, blog.bitsketch.com.
2: It used okay. to be bitsketch.com slash blog, but for SEO reasons, we changed it around.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Well, is there is there like a a, a short version of um, why that was a good way to go? Actually, it,
2: uh, I should say for security reasons. <laughs> for SEO reasons, it's better to do slash blog. Okay. But I didn't want to run WordPress on on my server yes. where my app is, right? So blog.whatever dot, dot, makes it easier to just put it uh, with the with somebody that just does WordPress hosting, takes care of the security stuff.
0: Right, that makes sense. We did kind of the opposite or the same thing in the opposite way with convertkit where convertkit.com is, you know, all just the marketing site and WordPress and the blog and then app.convertkit.com is uh, the software. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. Which the thing that I don't like about that is you start, you t- create a new tab in your browser, you start typing ConvertKit and the app, which is what regular users are going to want to go to all the time. Right. You know, it starts with A instead of C, you know, and so you're like, right. I don't know, Chrome's getting smarter about it and... So it all works out.
2: Yeah, it's it. I've been going to uh, Z- Zapier uh, a lot, you know, doing that, and uh, Kissmetrics a lot, and like same thing. When I go to just Kissmetrics for Zapier, it's like no, nope. I think it's Zapier. There's a couple of them towards like yeah, where like Intercom.
0: You yeah. Know. Intercom exactly. They do the right. app dot yeah. And I always I open a new tab and I start typing Intercom.
2: Right, right. And, and the like, first nope. one is
0: their marketing okay. site, and it's like I don't really need to go to the, mar- the marketing site for Intercom. I already pay the money every month. <laughs>
2: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. For se and for SEO purposes, I do think it's, it's
2: better to, to do that, like slash blog, even though Google says it's, Oh, it's the same to have a, you know, subdomain for your blog. Uh, we'll treat it the same. It's like,
0: no, not really. This is one of those things where we don't always trust what Google says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a trust but verify sort of situation. Right. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Ruben, thanks for taking the time to talk to me and, uh, Good luck in all of your future ventures.
2: Thanks. Thanks for inviting me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode with Ruben. If you want to learn more about the show, download the other episodes, write a review, any of those things, go to nathanberry.com slash audience. Thanks for listening. And another quick thank you to Kajabi for sponsoring this episode. You can learn more about them at nathan.kajabi.com.